Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to the All Stats Aren't We review of the 2021-22 Leeds United season. I'm Darren Driver in my stonewashed jeans and a gilet and I'm joined by some fine young men. Sold to Tifo for a big fee but back to us on loan where we'll stick him in the reserves before he winds up at the journalistic equivalent of Stoke or Sunderland. It's my friend or yours, John McKenzie. How you doing, John? I'm good, mate. How are you? Very, very, very well. I'm too hot. I'm knackered, and I'm, but I am very much looking forward to speaking to you about some football matters. And with John, some other less prominent men, um, the <laughs> only man who enjoys the transfer window less than I do, it's Tom Alderson. How are you doing, Tom? This must be your favourite part of the year, is it? No, I've stayed a bit more clued in than I thought I would do, because we have a, we have a chat Um us at all stats aren't we and we just basically it just involves adam john and adam john and hobsey just chatting about transfers and i just dip in every morning and every evening see what's going on see if hobsey's happy and if hobsey's happy i'm happy so that that's fine you also you, you introduced john wrong, uh, wrong there down i thought it's is it jonathan ross mckenzie that's i've heard on on other channels sorry all all of john's <laughs> nicknames have been copyrighted by the athletic so <laughs> oh, they might sue us they might we're not actually not us. legally allowed to call him john mckenzie but you know i'm just deciding to fly out that one um so yeah i i've also seen that chat and uh try to pay as little to attention to it as I possibly can. But if Hobbs is happy, I'm happy is a good way to be, I think. And finally, the Jazz Hands, Mr. Jazz Hands, <laughs> Jacob of the podcast. How are you doing, brother? It's nice to see you. It's been a long time since you've been on one of these. It's so nice to see you. It, it really has. I, I realised that actually I've not been on a podcast since before Marcelo Bielsa left Leeds United. So it's it really has been quite some time. But it's, uh, it's lovely to be back and uh, really lovely to be speaking to you all again. How are you doing, Darren? I'm very well. I'm very well. I'm about the same as I was when John asked me. Um, 
you never know, do you? you <laughs> no, that's true. Things could have changed. He's spoken I mean, to me since then. So. Yeah, we've talked. We've talked about transfers <laughs> since then, so anything could happen. Actually, our big news of the summer is that is that our our spiritual leader, our cult leader, in fact, John has joined <laughs> Tifo, and we're all properly stoked for him. And what I was thinking was that Tom Jacob, since John's here, and this will embarrass the absolute shite out of him, I thought we could spend a minute saying nice things about John. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna hand over to uh, Tom. Tom, would you like to say something nice about John, uh, given his new news? Yeah, I could tell. I could tell from his video feed that he's so happy about us doing this. <laughs> <Is> that- <laughs> no, it's 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 very well deserved, John. And this, I've caught quite a bit of your stuff um, since you've since you've moved across to Tifo. I I really enjoyed that you started with a Jesse Marsh Bielsa comparison. That was like, <laughs> let's hit the ground running on that one. But yeah, really, really, really happy for you, John. Well done. Over to you, Jacob. Say nice things about John. Absolutely echo what Tom said. I think it's really well deserved, and I've tried to pick, uh, tried to pay attention to everything you've done so far, and I think it's been of a really, really high standard. Particular shout out to this morning's video about AC Milan that I thought was really, really excellent. And like I said in the tweet I did about it, like it was very thought provoking in a sort of broader sense than just about AC Milan. Like you it really helps you think about football and learn new things. So keep up the good work, and you're fab. <laughs> <laughs> John, I'm not going to say anything nice about you because I actually don't like you anymore. Um, so <laughs> I'm going to give you right to reply, my friend, uh, given that you've had some nice things said about you and I know how much you hate it. I hate all of you in equal measures. <laughs> <laughs> good, good stuff. Um, okay, before we get to the meat of this episode, such as it is, um, let's talk about recent Leeds United news. So in transfer news, uh, only confirmed transfer news is what I'm interested in. Uh, Brendan Aronson has come in as everybody expected um, and Rasmus Christensen, who is is my favourite ever Leeds player because he's called Rasmus, um, has also joined the club and we're looking forward to see, see him. Looking forward to winning the Austrian Bundesliga next season. <laughs> Red Bull Leeds, we, yeah. Let's come back to that as a hypothetical. Would would this Leeds team <laughs> win, the, win the Austrian Bundesliga later on? We'll come back to that at the end. And finally, uh, confirmed today is the signing of um, Mark Rocker. So we're going to do um, a proper transfer window overview at some point in the summer. So we won't get in, into too much depth now. But um, John, how do you feel the window is going so far? Yeah, I think it's been a good window. There are early moves, which are good. There have been sensible moves, I think. Um, Brendan Aronson, we know, is going to fit the system. Rasmus Christensen, we know, is going to fit the system, (laughs) mainly because they are the system. Uh, Mark Rocker is a little bit more interesting in terms of uh, it's another one of Victor Orta's reclamation projects. So uh, I like a lot of what I've seen. It doesn't seem like a natural fit into a Jesse Marsh system uh, but I think at £10 million pounds, I suppose you accept the risk and you kind of think well it's bolstering the squad and um, yeah in a different system it, it may be um, in future looking looking like quite a tidy purchase as well so yeah I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the window it seems as though we've got some eyes on some good players so that's that's a nice thing to see as well so yeah pretty positive at my end. Which is what I'm famous for, right? <laughs> well, absolutely, and this, this is this is you know the athletics changed him. He's positive now, <laughs> hasn't it? Just yeah. hasn't it? Just signing actual players has changed me. Mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's also fair. Given that we didn't sign any actual players last summer, just sprinters. <laughs> no, just sprinters. That's, that's true. Jacob, there are a couple of high-profile departures rumored, um, so I'm going to throw this one at you. How are you how are you 
feeling about the prospects of the players that are rumoured to be going out, going out principally, I guess, Calvin Phillips and Rafinha? I think it's impossible to take away the, the sort of the emotional connection that the fan base and I, as a member of the fan base, have with particularly Calvin. But I do think that if we are sort of committing to what the board have talked about in in seasons gone by about something that might resemble more like a Leicester model or something, then you do have to accept that some some of our players will outpace our progression and particularly Calvin, well, actually both of them, but but Calvin, given that that one seems more like it's definitely going to happen now, um, may not be as good a fit for the system going forward. Like we, we aren't playing, we don't expect we'll play with as much width and 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 he doesn't offer necessarily all of the other kinds of forward passes more on the ground more centrally and so to me it's that seems a sensible enough decision to make as hard as it is from sort of the emotional perspective and then Rafinha it feels a bit more nebulous and I I'm a bit more concerned about losing the player who has that quote-unquote x-factor to produce those game-winning moments but at the same time again he's a player whose absolute best things come out wide and if we are moving to a system which is narrower maybe a, a different player who has more upside in those spaces can be more effective for us relative to the fee we might get for Rafinha. Tom, we're going to buy tickets to season tickets for City next year. We've already agreed on their silver package, so we might get to see Calvin Phillips. I'm, I'm joking. No, we're going to Stockport, Darren. I've told you, we're getting Stockport season tickets. <laughs> I'm joking. It's only Tom that's buying a, a silver season ticket, and his Twitter handle is um, at, <laughs> at MCMC to MCFC Tom. Is that? That's probably taken. <laughs> that's right, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, how how are you feeling about about things so far? A general summary of the of the window from your point of view. I I just quite like that we're getting business done early. I think it's it's nice when um, oh, they're nice, in they're in before pre season, and especially with like players like Rafinha and Phillips, like it feels like we've kind of lined up people to replace them as well. Mm. Because like the worry with those players, like they go late in August, and then we're like, oh shit. Who do we who do we buy now? So I, it seems to be that the the club is actually doing something. Look, it kind of looks right from what mm. I've seen, but I, I guess that we'll see the proof in that in September of next season. Yeah, and as as I know from you know over thirty years uh, being a football fan now, being a football fan now, getting the business done early is all any fan ever wants. Isn't oh, yeah. it? That that that's the dream. that's what we that's the dream. So <laughs> we are actually living the dream for once as Leeds United fans. Um, okay, so today uh, we're gonna we're gonna do a bit of a season review. So last season, as we all know, wasn't a lot of fun at any point. Um, so we're not gonna spend a lot of time going over the details of why. If you want more detail, please listen to any of the episodes from last season. <laughs> that is what they're for. Um, and today, what we're gonna spend our time doing is laughing at ourselves and each other by going over our pre-season numbers predictions. If you may remember our, our podcast, we we made we made a number of predictions. Um, about how the season might go. Um, and for one, I'm glad that I'm hosting this because uh, my predictions were an intoxicating combination of wrong and illogical. So here it goes. Without any further ado, let's crack into that. Okay, we started with quite a big question, which was, were we, 
um, in the season just gone going to finish over or under the previous season's finishing position of ninth. Where did we finish, Darren? <laughs> we finished 17th. That's quite close to getting relegated, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that is quite, quite close. Uh, some would argue too close for comfort, wouldn't they? I think, perhaps. Um, and we all predicted, so Tom, Tom Woodhead, who um, has fallen into a meat grinder since he since he recorded that very episode um but tom tom, tom woodhead myself uh, john jacob and tom alderson all said that we would finish under um where we did under ninth so we're all correct on that um so tom how do you reflect on on that as a kind because we underperformed even what we even what us miserable buggers thought we would by quite quite some distance how do how do you reflect on that as a as a thing I mean, it was expected. I think we like we put we put in like the best promoted season of a um, best season of a promoted team. I think in in the Premier League history, and we kind of overperformed. And there's also like the whole COVID season, and was sort of we we played full pelt, whereas other teams kind of sort of rolled over in sort of the last quarter of the season in that first year. Mm-hmm. And obviously, a, a, and like a regression was expected, but I think sort of not improving on the squad last summer really did come and bite us and like just the, the play style wasn't working as well as it did so we we were all expecting it but you you were kind of expecting it to say oh we'll finish 13th we'll be we won't really ever threaten relegation but we won't be as good as last year so to to end up basically we just only just staying up on the last day by i don't know we probably stayed up by sheer chance more than anything else that mm. it's it's really not good enough is it and it's yeah definitely below everyone's expectations i can imagine John, give us the top three reasons why the season went so disastrously wrong for Leeds United last season. Because we didn't sign anyone. Dan James. Except for Dan James. That's reason two. Um, <laughs> and reason three... We did sign a left-back as well. Did we? <laughs> Who? Junior Firpo. Did we sign him last, was it last summer? So yeah, we like did. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's reason number three. Uh, no, <laughs> reason number three is that we broke the squad in previous seasons so maybe that's an extension of reason one um but yeah it wasn't it wasn't pleasant it was a combination of running the squad down not replacing players and when we did bringing in the wrong ones jacob it was obvious from minute one that we were in for a bit of a bit of a dodgy season right well even even before minute one through the the pre-season there were just like a variety of things that you could see happening i remember sort of in, in several games luke hailing Particularly, the sort of making a lot of sort of uncharacteristically shop, excuse me, uncharacteristically sloppy decisions. Um, and we had several games, Ajax, and we played a Spanish team. I forget which one. Might have been Villarreal. Um, and in both of those games, we conceded incredibly early on. And like throughout preseason, it just felt like some of our structures and our and like our automatisms weren't functioning in the way they had before. And then, of course, leading straight into the opening day of the season and uh, the horrors contained within. Yeah, the um, that habit of conceding early goals and being out of the game before we could even really get going never stopped throughout the season, really, did it? It continued right the way through, and that was that's quite quite interesting because I think there had been spells under Bielsa previously where that had happened in little pockets, but but never to the extent that that it did this season. And, and I think that was one of the bigger bigger and more worrying developments through the year. I, I definitely and while we did sometimes like nick something at the end yeah. and we, we we did get quite a few points from that like it just felt like so many results ended up being almost a foregone conclusion just because 
we the the, the what we practiced and the, the game state that we rehearsed for rehearsed for you can tell I'm a theater person um the the game states that we were getting familiar with over the week so quickly went out of the window just yeah. because we kept conceding these goals so early on in the tech run we uh, we, we got it right <laughs> but in the in the day itself we didn't point of order the spanish team was real betis i just thank remember. you very much i was at that Be- game and it took me this long to remember i didn't mean betis i meant the game after ajax uh was it Villarreal? maybe it was i think i think it was yeah okay i think it was because i think we i remember um to, uh pedraza coming back uh Oh, it's good that we cleared this one up. This is the most important aspect of last season. So <laughs> Only on all stats, aren't we, would you hear a five-minute argument about who, who we played in last season's preseason? I love you guys. I love you guys so much. Okay, let's move on to question two. Um, so question two was, would we get more points in the league or would we concede more goals against? So uh, we in the, in the previous season, we'd, conce- we'd got 59 points and conceded 54 goals. Does anyone, not you, John, because you've got the numbers in front of you, but um, Jacob, you also know the numbers. Tom, uh, do you <laughs> think do you think we um, conceded more goals against or got more points? Quite an easy one, this. But but the magnitude. Let's go for the magnitude. How how many more goals do you think we conceded than points gained? Is this a good time to say I've got the numbers as well? Oh, you absolutely. <laughs> you shouldn't have. You should have nailed it, man. Is it forty-one? Edit that out. Is it forty-one, Darren? <laughs> yes, it's yes, yes, Tom. It's forty-one. Wow, yeah. what an incredible guess. Um, okay, so in this one, um, I said it was going to be close, but goals against. Um, it was not close. In fact, that's depends quite on your a perspective, really. <laughs> Close to a degree, and and John, Jacob, and Tom, you all predicted goals against. So, what went wrong defensively this year, John? Is it because we've got bad centre backs? <laughs> well, a lot of people want to say man marking, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of good teams who man mark within reason. Maybe not quite to the extent that Marcelo Bielsa does, but I'm still team. We let the squad run down, and uh, we we did lose. Bielsa did lose the dressing room. It's worth saying uh, they it became an insuperable problem. Uh, at which point, I guess he sort of had to go. Um, I would have rather have that been at the end of the season, but yeah, whatever. Um, football club owners do what football club owners do, and so I can understand that decision. Um, but yeah, it was very much to do with the fact that the combination of teams working out how to play against a man marking system, and I think the team not having the the uh, compunction to continue playing in games where they knew we were going to get battered. And it's those games where we knew we were likely to lose, Jacob, isn't it, that that, that caused the biggest problem because some of, some of the bigger teams ran up some pretty ridiculous scorelines against us. I was just going to say, absolutely. Um, like, it's actually really stark, and we'll reflect on this later in a, in a question to come, but it's stark, the, like, the results that we got against the top sides like all of the the quote unquote big six, we we lost every game against them. And last year we picked up quite a, a handy number of points against them. Mm-hmm. And even and with a couple of exceptions, there weren't that many get. There, there was there was a good number of the games last season where we were still able to keep the goal tally down. And yeah. and so just wilting in the way that we did, I think not not only contributed to us having a the goal difference that would have relegated us if Burnley had had got a win, I think. Um, but also, um, I think it in no doubt contributed to, to, to... Excuse me, it's been so long, I can't talk. <laughs> uh, it no doubt contributed as well to the 
like the sentiment and the feeling around the place of like being humbled so often it's not a nice feeling for for football players to have and for for the fans to have as well and all the things that would be written about people in the wake of that and so i'm not surprised in a sense that we as we saw these kind of results happen more and more this season that that the players heads turned it's worth saying actually at this point maybe that a lot of blame was thrown at Elan Melier this season for not having great post expected shot post shot expected goal numbers sorry um but actually if you look at the games where he performed badly they were largely against the top six and I think if you take the top mm. six out of the equation his numbers were actually some of the better numbers out of any of the goalkeepers he was he, he actually had positive figures there and I think that's probably a phenomenon that is true across the team is that if you take out those performances against top six under Bielsa yes we got absolutely battered and yes that it took its toll but actually I think the performances outside of that were probably I mean obviously not great but like much better than they would have been and I think it's just the combination of the of the fact that the sort of football that we play is knife edge stuff that if it goes wrong it goes really wrong um so yeah I think that's just worth pointing out Thanks, John, for uh, being the one to leap to Melier's defence. It's, it's it's become almost parody at this point that it's me that does it, so I'm pleased that it was you. Um, Tom, so John John raised the, the spectre of man-marking, and we moved to a zonal marking system, or more of a zonal marking system at the end, uh, under Jesse Marsh. At the point at which Bielsa went, you were pretty sick of, of man-marking as a thing. Um, how do you reflect on that change through through the end of the season? I mean, it, it kind of felt towards the end of the season, yes, we weren't conceding. Because the thing with the man marking is that we were just vacating the middle of the pitch. Yeah. Well, like we were we were trying to attack out wide, and then when we had to man mark, we had to run back in the middle of the pitch, which was just empty. And it kind of felt at the end of the year, we were just, the side of the pitch was empty. But and that's not where the goal is, Tom. Exactly. And that's it. It felt that really <laughs> small amount safer. So, but he still wasn't. He didn't, still didn't feel that safe. Um, no, I, I think Marsh did try and sort of make us more solid. But I just, I think we kind of got more lucky more than more than like I actually felt that we were never going to concede. Mm. Um, there was obviously an element where it, there was definitely a, an improvement in our ability to defend. But I don't think it was that great because the, it just it didn't seem very drilled. But I've, yeah, it's really hard to say if we'd have stuck with man marking what would have happened. And I guess I guess we'll, but we'll definitely we'll never know. Uh, but it. It was weird because I remember watching that first Leicester game of Marsh under Marsh, um, and so I was like, "Oh, this is on the market." I don't feel like I'm gonna. I'm worried every time that we lose the ball, but that kind of went away quite quickly, and it just became a mm-hmm. case of we were getting, we were sort of fluking our way to def- to keeping conceding less goals rather than it being a product of man marking. Mm, yeah, we were getting beat. 3-0 by the top teams instead of 7 and 6-0 and that that makes yeah. all the difference right <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, so John there's there's a bit of a correlate I think in terms of the way that Marsh set the team up defensively and, and the way that Bielsa set his team up defensively at the end of last season when we played some of the big teams when we kind of played more of a more of a zonal system more of a low block and that meant that we to a degree we did variance our way a little bit through the end of that season Was, is that something you'd agree with? I haven't really looked at the numbers to be honest because I've tried not to think about Leeds for as long as it's been since the season finished, which I can't even remember. But the sense that I got was, yeah, maybe we maybe we um, reduced the XG a little bit, but I don't think there's a huge amount in it. Um, no. I think uh, I think a lot of it comes from the fact that if you are playing a system as we were playing it, and as you say, we're 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 wide open. I think it maybe breaks the XG models a little bit. Um, mm. Whereas if you are playing a, a deeper zonal system, then 
even if you are giving up chances, you're making it harder for the opposition as well. Um, that's mm. not something I would stake my life on, but um, I, I think that the theory is there. But yeah, I suppose there's always the possibility for the regression to take place. So watch mm. this space, I suppose. And now we reach the question where I need to apologise to one of my most beloved Leeds players um, because we asked for over-under on Patrick Bamford Premier League goals compared to the previous season where he'd scored 17. <sighs> And the answer is under. Sir Patrick Bamford scored two goals, two goals um, in that in that season. One against Burnley and one against Brentford. Um, and I had predicted, just in a, in a case of blind optimism, because I was feeling pretty miserable about the season in prospect, that he would get more than seventeen. So I was the only one that did that. So I was the only one that was wrong. Um, so Jacob, reflect on on Bamford's season. Really, it feels like hugely disappointing that he was able to contribute so little right and and perhaps um part of it is to do with that thing that John was talking about earlier in terms of it's reflective of the squad being in a p- very particular place yeah i i i i agree um i think i think it's also worth noting that obviously while he got injured quite early in the season in that game against newcastle we still had like a chunk of games before that and even in that point he only got that one goal against burnley and I think that that's sort of testament to the fact that, like, a lot of strikers have an important relationship with the service that they get as well. And the um, the the chances that we were creating no longer seem to happen in the same way as, as we'd done in the season before, which I think definitely affected Bamford's ability to to be as threatening as, as he was last season. Um, it, it's, also, it's also a real shame that we lost his sort of hold up play and his link play because that really wasn't replicated by by Dan James when he spent most of the season up front and I do think as well that that actually is a contributing factor to maybe how we were so poor defensively this season because we lacked sort of that extra ability to retain the ball up front through Bamford and then yeah it just it, it, I guess it's quite hard to to know what to say because it I feel like this season with Bamford is just so many what ifs. Like, what if he didn't pick up this bizarre foot injury? What if he didn't celebrate so exuberantly against Brentford? And what different difference that might have made to us this season? Because I think more than anybody else, we lacked a, the the profile of player to sort of stand in for him. And I think it's it's really shown that we've struggled without him just by what we've had to do in, instead with with Dan James. And Tom, I think I think that point about us not having a a replacement who's even who's been even partway uh adequate in 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 terms of Bamford's all-round game and and finishing ability um has has really kind of been been the defi- one of the defining factors of the season just as much as Bamford's how as much as we've missed Bamford himself, right? Yeah, so like, it was it was really noticeable that when Bamford came back, well, one that first half against Norwich, and then that mm. ever was it the twenty minutes he played against Wolves or something that we did look better. And the the only sort of natural player we've got in the squad that can do that is Roberts, and he he was out after Marsh's first game, so we didn't even get a chance to see what a player that resembles that in the system can look like. So yeah, it's just it's difficult. And like Dan James isn't a striker, so he's he's just not he having not having a proper centre forward all all year basically is probably one of the, the key factors about what, where we finished, where we did. Okay, let's move from Bamford's injuries to centre-back injuries um, because, um, yeah, we, we we thought we'd ask a question about whether we would see more games missed through injury 
to centre-backs or Rafinha assists, goals and nutmegs combined. And uh, John, you were wrong on this one and it's nice to be able to say that to you for for once. Well, actually... I'd like to, a point of order here uh, because there is a note which says no data available for nutmegs in the FA Cup games versus West Ham. <laughs> but it is unlikely that he got at least 23 nutmegs in 45 minutes. But that is where you're wrong, Jacob. <laughs> ah. Because in fact, he got 24 nutmegs in that time. And I, um, I'm i right and you're all wrong. <laughs> I, I can only apologise, John, for my poor data gathering. That's all right. So uh, once again, the the curse, the curse, Tom. Remember, you you stole my answer about the centre back curse, uh, for for the which I really appreciated you doing. Uh, thanks very much for that. Um, so we we actually missed forty five league games and six cup games by senior centre backs missed through injury, and that uh, that is once again incredible. Plus a combined total of twenty nine for Rafinha, which is eleven goals, three assists, and fifteen nutmegs. Um, will we? Ever Ever go through a season where at least one of our inju- uh, one of our centre backs doesn't get injured, John? Just one, just one season where one centre back gets through the season unscathed. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, it would be. Um, I'm just thinking <laughs> who we're going into the next season with a centre back, but I suppose it's Cooper. I so yeah, that's not going to happen anytime it's the soon. Same band of broken brothers. Okay, so um, John. Ha- however, I must point out as a point of order that you did say. And I quote directly, I don't anticipate us getting anywhere near that figure of centre-back injury absences. And with that, I will move on. Um, Okay, so the next one was more goals conceded from set pieces or Stuart Dallas starts in centre midfield. So the season before, we'd seen 15 goals from set pieces and 20 centre midfield appearances from Dallas. And the... Interesting uh, thing about this season is that we saw 19 goals conceded from um, set pieces, um, excluding five penalties, versus five Dallas centre midfield starts. Um, and that's 14 plus five penalties under Bielsa and five under under Marsh. So although the narrative didn't seem as strong about us conceding goals from set pieces this season, we actually conceded more, if my... <laughs> If my reading and comprehension is correct. Um, So Dallas started in midfield against Liverpool, West Ham, Watford, Brighton and Man City. So let's think about the set pieces thing. I said it'd be a high scoring draw. It wasn't. Again, I was completely off the mark uh, there. And uh, Tom Woodhead and Tom Alderson said set pieces would win here. So Tom, what was your thinking and how do you reflect on our season of set piece defending? I actually wrote an article on our set pieces, I think this time last year, and I was expecting an improvement and mm. obviously that didn't happen. And I actually nope. I actually do think we were better defending set pieces this year, but we were so rubbish attacking that we I, I, I'm completely making this up on the fly and I might be completely wrong, but I just think we conceded more because we were defending more, which seems I'm, I don't know if it's true because mm. I'll, I'll have a check later. Uh, but I just didn't I just didn't think Dallas had ended up playing as many appearances in centre mid I think was my thinking I'm not sure we did any defending last season did we <laughs> we, we, we were in our own half without the ball more yeah, yeah. I'll accept that answer yeah. or we were shoehorning it around our back four uh, more as well um, which and then losing it and then they were running at us through the yeah. middle and then later they were down the wings yep where the goals are not, as Jesse Marsh famously likes to point out. Yeah, so it was it was difficult. So how do you yeah how do you reflect on our um, defending from set pieces once Marsh came back, John? Because I remember you saying I don't think Marsh has improved as at set pieces. I just think Liam Cooper's fit again. So what? Where do you stand on that now? 
I stand in exactly the same position, I will never back down. I will double down. That, that is true. And we all know that <laughs> to, to be the case. Uh, any thoughts, Jacob? I think there probably is it something in that that John says. You um you can see data on centre-backs uh, aerial successes and... Urente and Strauch and possibly Cock as well, but I can't remember for him. But certainly Urente and Strauch both rank quite low, but very low, in fact, among centre-backs for aerial success. So just by having Cooper in there, who ranks very high in that respect, invariably you're going to see improvement. Wasn't Urente lowest in the in the league or something on aerial? I might have completely made this up. He was like the lowest in the league on like aerial success or something like that. He's pretty low on he's pretty low on aerial successes, but what he is good and I think he'd rank very highly on suplexes delivered during <laughs> during opposition corners. I think he'd definitely be okay at that. He's he's got a great uh, standing headlock too. Um, so let's let's move on. So which will be higher? Which was going to be higher? Was it going to be our XG or was it going to be our XG against? And the previous season it had been fifty seven point five XG compared to sixty two point nine XG against. This season just gone the answer was 70.1 xg against versus 47.2 xg um tom woodhead for the record said that he thought it'd be roughly equal and john said it'll be xg against obvs um and we all said xg against so we could see we could see this coming we could we could read the tea leaves right john yeah we're always ahead of the curve always ahead of the curve are you ahead of the curve tom um I, I don't know, really. <laughs> the thing is, like, we, we we had a massive drop off, didn't we? In XG, it was like what ten goals. It's like, it's actually. I think I, don't, I think it was a lot worse than I thought it was going to be. I didn't think it was going to be that wide. So mm. I was I was on a, a curve. I don't know if it, if it was the right one. Yeah, XG drops by ten, and XGA goes up by about ten. <laughs> it was not 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 a good combination, really, is it? No, no it was a it was a. Yeah, mm. so that's a swing of <laughs> that's a that's a swing of some chances, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> According to my mathematics. And then when you combine that with like last season, we I think slightly underperformed our XGA, but then this mm. season we no, hang on, what am I saying? I've no idea. <laughs> I, think, I, think you're, I think you're right. Last season we conceded fewer goals than the XGA would suggest we would, but this season we conceded more, so it's even more of a swing. It's more of a swing. Lots of big swings happening here. And I remember saying on this very podcast, actually, that all it would take for us to be bad this season was a variance in the opposite direction, unexpected goals. And uh, yeah, lo and behold, it always pays to double down. It does always pay. John, you, you, it's it's one of your superpowers, actually, I, w- I would suggest doubling at down. this point. Doubling down. And, and I admire you for it. Um, and, you know, especially when you're correct, that, that gives you, that gives you <laughs> some, some ammunition to double down upon, <laughs> doesn't true. it? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Okay, so next we had more Premier League nil-nil draws or matches contested by Leeds in the domestic Cups um, and the st- in the previous season we'd had three nil nil draws and two cup games um, and in this season we had four cup games versus two nil nil draws um, and I I got that wrong and John I'm afraid to say brother you also got that wrong um, Jacob you said cups but little in it um, in fact it was it was double the number of cup <laughs> games so so have we that, deduct brother. a point from and, it and <laughs> I think we should definitely should. Is someone keeping score, by the way, of, of all? The scores are at the end. Oh, very good. Thanks, Jacob, for preparing the running order for a podcast I was going to present. That's very, very <laughs> kind of you. Um, and Tom, you also said cups. Um, yeah, I think we should deduct a point from Jacob for that one, actually, um, because he said little in it. And Being too smug, know, isn't he, Jacob, I think, for my yeah, liking. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Look, look, at, his, <laughs> look at his little face. Um I don't think there's a lot to reflect on there, is it? Or oh, maybe there is just something about cups, isn't there, and our approach to the cups. I'm not going to ask what we thought about our approach to the cups. I think we know that. But do we expect to see a different approach to the cups going forward, Tom? Yes, Bielsa definitely didn't prioritise them, did they? Like, and I'm, I feel like it's something that Jesse Marsh should love a cup game. I feel I might be really horrible to him there, but he just like he looks like the sort of person that really loves a, a domestic cup. <laughs> I'm not, mate. What is it about him? Is it his stonewashed jeans? Yeah, and his face. <laughs> and his face. <laughs> um, John, what's Jesse Marsh's uh, previous record in cup domestic cup competitions? I'm putting you on the spot a bit there, I do realise. Well, he's won a lot of Austrian <laughs> domestic cup titles okay. um, simply by turning up. But, um, yeah, I'm not sure. Didn't didn't go so well in, in Germany. He won something in right. MLS. But I guess everyone wins. They they probably reward participation in some MLS. vague degree of competence. Well, yeah. But no, seriously though, um, in terms of in terms of Jesse Marsh and cups, obviously he's. Uh, I, I think he's like a vibes manager in many respects. So I suspect that he will relish the fact that he has something to g his team up for. Um, and yeah, I suppose it's worth saying that he got a few losses that counted as wins in his mind in the Champions League in the last couple of seasons as well. So um, you never know. Maybe just tip those the other way, and who knows what could happen in the. Uh, Carabao Cup next season. That's the better version of my answer. And that's, that's all I wanted someone. That's what I wanted someone to say, Tom. Just listen to that answer John just gave. That's why he's at the Athletic, and that's why I'm. I'm not. That that's true. That's true. Okie dokes. So, which would come first, dropping out of the League Cup or our first win against a big six side? And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so last season we said that it would be dropping out of the League Cup. Uh, last season it was dropping out of the League Cup. Um, and the answer this time is that we would drop out of the League Cup first. And if we'd have won 
the League Cup, that would still have been true, which is which is nice, <laughs> nice to think about. So if Marcelo Bielsa had suddenly decided that the League Cup was what he wanted, that that was going to be his legacy, um, and and had gone on and won it, we yeah we would have been well away. So we lost eleven games and drew one versus big six sides, and we were counting a Leicester rather than Arsenal, um, and that would have made no difference anyway because we also lost both of our games against Arsenal. Um, and for context, there were two big six games prior to the fourth round of the League Cup. And this is one of the ones that I got completely wrong again because I just decided that I was going to vibe on it and say that we were just going to look something against a big big six team. Hopefully on the opening day against Man United was what I was thinking. Um, John, you said dropping out of the League Cup. Jacob, you said dropping out of the League Cup. Tom Alderson, you said dropping out of the League Cup. And you said this pain you what was the pain what was tell me about your pain this is my, my mental health work coming in here tell me about your pain tom did i say that i don't remember yeah, saying that i don't know it's just it's, it's always nice to sort of play for a cup isn't it and it just we always go into those competitions and it just feels inevitably that there'll be a game three days later or earlier that we'll prioritize over it and we'll go out as a yeah i can't remember who we lost to in the league cup fourth round but the, the, it happened arsenal. against arsenal arsenal so we lost all three games against them including one in the league cup in that case yeah yeah, yeah. um cup football's not f- not real football tom discuss i mean it just, it just matters less doesn't it it the, does matter it's, less. it's all about the league but Good. yeah it would it would be nice to have a bit of a run this year just for a change because i don't think we've we've Probably in the time that I've actually followed Leeds, I don't think we've really, really had a run at the cup apart from we got to the quarterfinals of the League Cup one year when we got battered by Chelsea. Oh yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Um, Jacob, the top six, they ruthlessly, the top six ruthlessly exploited us this season by and large, didn't they? I mean, if you take Leicester out of the equation because those games were close, um, it felt like it felt like a lot of big scorelines and a lot of games that were watched through the fingers type territory. Um, we've sort of touched on some of the reasons already, but that that made that was one of the things that made this season feel a, a lot, lot less fun to me. How did it feel for you? I, I absolutely agree, although I should declare that I did miss a couple of those games and given the scorelines, didn't watch them back. But um, Plastic. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, what was I going to say? Plastic old stats, sir. <laughs> <laughs> You, you've, you've got my number there. Um, last season, there was maybe in more of the games, the, those big sides hadn't quite worked. Some of them hadn't quite worked out how to play against us. Some of them definitely did. Mm. Like I, I think particularly to that four-two loss against Arsenal in yeah. um, like February of, yeah. of, the, of the first season. But I think it felt like like they all got a handle to some extent on really the things that you needed to do to particularly beat Bielsa's leads. And then once you have those plans, the players that those teams had are just going to do them really effectively just because they have, the skill gap is massive with the, with those teams. And I think, I mean, look at that City game, for example. It's It was just a complete demolition. And then even for even for some like a team that maybe aren't always as tactically savvy like Manchester United, you just knew that they knew certain things that they could do to hurt us and they had really good players that could make those things happen. Mm. Was Ole Gunnar Solskjaer still the manager at the start of this season? That feels like... like he was. Wow, that feels like a long, 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 long time ago. Wow. Okay, yeah, thanks, Jacob. That's really sound, I mean, it's really sound analysis, even though you didn't watch um, 
some of the games. Um, but we'll, we'll let that drop now. Um, we had to watch. Them, we had to watch them all twice, right? And I'm not letting you get away with this next season. If, if you're going to be on this podcast, you have to watch all the games, whether you're on the podcast or not. I, 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 I normally do. Well, normal is not good enough around here, Jacob. Um, Darren's in charge now, Jacob. Like, just, Jacob's, uh, are, John's not here things anymore. Things are changing around here, brother. None of the comforting arm around the shoulder anymore from me. You will watch us lose Liverpool 7-0 twice and you will enjoy it, okay? Uh, yeah, maybe not the enjoy it part, that's fine. Okay, so the next question was, would there be more changes to the starting eleven for the FA Cup third round from the previous game? Game, or Jamie Shackleton starts and last season uh, the season before rather there were seven charges seven charges seven changes to the starting 11 and five Shackleton starts and I'm going to take my my solitary moment of glory here because um, there were nine Jamie Shackleton starts versus four changes to the 11 and I had predicted that there would be eight or nine starts for Jamie Shackleton so good work there thanks very much um Jacob, uh, it's worth remembering, worth remembering that the Toms, Tom Woodhead and Tom Alderson, in case anyone's forgotten who the other Tom is, um, had different opinions on Shackleton or Drama being preferred um, at right back in the in the event of one of them being required. And Shackleton ultimately was the one um, favoured by Bielsa for for most of the most of the season. So, how do you look back on Jamie Shackleton, Shackleton's season there, John? I'll be honest, I'm surprised he got nine starts because I don't remember many of them um, and yeah I think very unremarkable season from him in many respects unfortunately for him uh, and it looks as though that will probably be his last season at Leeds I, I, I don't know if that's true but it, it seems as though his loyalty to Leeds isn't going to be repaid in terms of any more um, concrete time uh, and so mm. probably the best thing for him to do is to is to move on and, and make a career somewhere else which is a real shame I think a lot of us have a lot of time for Jamie Shackleton we do think that he's a he's a really good midfield option he's played obviously at right back as well um, for for arguably out of position and and done it without um, without faltering so yeah it would be nice mm. to see him get uh, a move to a maybe a lower tier club but uh, playing in his preferred central midfield role. I think Jamie Shackleton is the most Swansea player on earth. I, th- I think that, <laughs> I think that's the sort of place where he'll end up. What, what do you think, Jacob? I, I think we've got a few of those players, though, because that's also the kind of club you might hope Lewis Bate would go to on loan if he was to go out. Tyler Roberts is a Swansea player as well, right? He could, he could go to Swansea. No, he's in League Two, John. <laughs> <laughs> he should never uh, be like, a footballer. <laughs> they aren't the same player, but... It, it immediately makes me think of Matt Grimes as well, and obviously Matt Grimes being at Swansea, like that—that's the kind of midfielder that does really well at, at, at that club. I don't think he's ever like, especially let us down, with the possible exception of that four-two against Arsenal. Um, but like between not being able to just get consistent minutes under his belt, full stop, and also not really getting game time in his preferred position, I feel like going down to the level below is more likely to give him like that good run of football that could then see him later come back up. I agree. Um, and Tom, for the sake of this podcast, I can't remember whether it was you or Tom Woodhead that thought Drame would get more starts, but just for the sake of 
this, I'm going to pretend it was you. Um, so why did you think um, Cody Drama would get more starts than Jamie Shackleton at right back this last season? I think from memory it was me that thought Drama would get more starts and I I think from memory I did that from not watching many of the pre-season games. Uh, but I think I think he'd um he'd had he'd done quite well hadn't he in the in the pre-season. Um yeah. but it was always it's always a case with Bielsa like he has his preferred players and even Shackleton wasn't really one of those but he was ahead of the pecking order um than than Drama was um at right back and I think it Bielsa never really saw uh, Shackleton as a I don't think he kind of saw him as a centre mid but I think he he preferred him as a right back didn't he generally yeah. um, I think he thought he was too lightweight didn't he in, I, yeah I, I, to be honest I do agree with that like I actually I preferred him at right back than I did at centre mid I just I he had a few good games but I always felt more comfortable with him as a right back um, I think if he went down to the championship and played as a centre mid it could work but I, w- I would be interested to see if he got a run of games there whether it would work or not mm, interesting questions Okay, question 10. Which comes first, calls for Bielsa's sacking or the last signing of the window? And the answer was the signing of Dan James on transfer deadline day. I just want to point out, though, that one fan did call TalkSport after the opening day defeat to call for Bielsa to be replaced. Replace him with Big Sam! But as discussed um, on the pod at the start of the season, we were talking about en masse calls for Bielsa's sacking which never actually happened I don't think in the fan base I think I think there was there was uh, some division there so John nice of Hobbsy to call in to talk sport though wasn't it <laughs> <laughs> I mean he's got to do something on a Saturday afternoon hasn't he like you know he's yeah he's not got anything else to do so yeah good good for him to boost their listener and advertising uh, numbers but John you said that you thought calls for Bielsa's sacking uh, would come before the last signing of the window. So it seems, again, that you could see some of this writing um, on the wall about where we would end up. Yeah, um, I, I don't know if that says more about my opinion of what the fan base think of Marcelo <laughs> Bielsa, I don't know. But, um, yeah, I don't know if I expected the year to go quite so badly as it as it did. And in the end, mm. really, it felt as though Bielsa was gone before anyone really expected it to happen, right? It, it didn't feel like there was any moment really where where it was a definitely a done thing. I mean, even all of us turning up to that Spurs game when he had already been sacked by all accounts. I don't think. I think maybe we expected it to happen afterwards, but I don't think anyone really thought that that it that it was coming. But um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a shame it went the way it, way it did, um, and it's a shame that we'll never really know what the outcome of that season will be. And I suppose there's a lot of us who probably thought that. Bielsa deserved the chance to earn his relegation in some senses. Not be, not that we wanted to go down, but that we we believed that he could have got us out of the mess when when we'd gone through that run of tough fixtures. Mm. Um, again, we we'll, we will never know. Counterfactual history, unfortunately, is is a dangerous game. But um, yeah, it was a shame that it went the way it went. Yeah, I agree. I mean, for what it's worth, I I said at the time and still stand by that I think he deserved the chance to see the season out. But the club took the decision that they took. And they they are now in the position that they can argue that that was a success and and can move on from there. And I guess that you know that's the risky that's one of the you know it's a risk that you take, isn't it, when you make a change like that? And and one of the uh, advantages that you can find yourself in. Jacob, you look like you've got thoughts. I'm going to hand over to you. I was just going to say I shared that point of view at the time, but as John reflected earlier on, like it does seem like he had sort of lost the dressing room, quote unquote. And I do think that knowing that post the sacking does sort of change my my thinking around it. Like if, mm. if the players aren't responsive to you anymore, then 
be it right or be it wrong, you probably do have to do something about it. Mm. But um, but no, I did share your thoughts at the time. I don't think anything's da- um, damaged my feelings of, uh, towards the season more than that happening, Tom. Uh, but you were in quite a different place, I think, by by then. So I'm going to give you your right to reply here because we've all we've all uh, said what we've said, and I think you you definitely had a different point of view at the time. Yeah, I I did think he was right to sack him. Um, I. Like the fact that he he was sacked and I wanted to sack didn't change with the legacy for me that it has for some fans about what he did for the club. Mm. Um, but it just felt like we were in a rut and it did feel like the players were unresponsive and that obviously came out afterwards that they were. Um, so I I just didn't have the confidence that he would get us going again. Um, especially like you you hear the stories of like I think it was Ailing that went. I have a t- t- I think he went to uh, Bielsa and said, "Can we change it?" And he said, "No." And I think a- Ailing is one of the senior players. Uh, will obviously have some sort of influence there. And he just like, even if like Bielsa had said we could have tried to get this sorted, I think it wouldn't have. I just don't think he would have had the same effect that he would. Well, he definitely wouldn't have had the same effect that he'd had in seasons gone by. Um, mm. So yeah, it, I wasn't really happy about it, but I think to stay up, it was. I thought it was the the right call, even if it kind of just it took up some. Of, something away of what was good about Leeds is that we were different because of Bielsa mm-hmm. um, and even like well, whilst I did call for it at the time like I just I, I didn't I probably didn't appreciate like what we were with Bielsa until after he'd gone because mm-hmm. it was all about oh we need to stay up we're losing lots of games and at the end I was like well actually it's like you can have both both viewpoints and be correct really that you'd rather see Bielsa stay out and then go or someone come in and stay up yeah I'm going to start skipping some of the ones that we've got coming up because I think we are we are running quite long um, but I am going to I am going to come to the next one in full which is that we we talked about whether um, we'd see more Calvin Phillips bookings or members of the first team squad make a senior international appearance in the, in the season and that was really close in the season before so there'd been 10 yellow cards for Calvin Phillips and nine players had um, had made senior international appearances and this season uh, we had 11 uh, international players versus for um, Calvin Phillips bookings um, and I just thought it might be worth reflecting on on Calvin's season here more than more than anything else because I think that for, for a lot of us um, he had quite a quite a poor season a lot of it missed to injuries as we know um, and he didn't have anywhere near the impacts that we hoped that he would um, in in the in the Leeds team so Jacob what do you what do you make of Calvin's season last year I'd say in amongst obviously a, a collectively disappointing season, I would say it is also a, an individually disappointing season for Phillips. Um, people have talked, I've seen quite a lot of discussion about how he didn't seem quote unquote himself when he came back after the marsh, um, after the injury into the marsh system. But I also want to flag that I don't think we really saw anywhere near the best of him before he got injured against Brentford. Yeah. Uh, it just felt like he was maybe just that little bit more off the pace. And also, it must be said, teams weren't giving us maybe the space that we got in some of those games last season, like that Everton game that he he just was spraying stuff everywhere in. Mm. And if we weren't getting that, we were really losing a lot of his upside. Mm. And then certainly once he came back from his injuries, we really... A, he didn't look completely fit, but B, he's been put into a system which no longer really magnifies his strengths anywhere near as much. 
and he he did look better in some respects in like the last couple of games but even then i think you have to take in mind the context of it was the end of the season and brighton and brentford had nothing to play for as much and that that may have looked very different if um, those games had been contested at a different point of the season but yeah it's it's just not been that good it hasn't been that good, says Jacob. Uh, let's move on to the next one. What, we're just what, gonna... what were our takes on that question? I don't you, did you say them, Darren? Uh, so um, I said either way, Phillips will win, so I lose. Um, John, <laughs> you said you said Phillips, so you lose. Jacob, you said international appearances, just so you lose. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Tom Alderson, you said international, so you're the only one to get a point from that. I'm not changing the scores as we go. Don't worry, Jacob. You're, you're absolutely fine. Um, the next one was Matthias Click goals or Tyler Roberts goals and they each got one uh, and in the previous season Click had got four and Roberts had got one um, and we all got that wrong because we all said one or the other so that's just how that shakes down sometimes. Uh, next one was Mar Harrison goals or assists and last season it had been eight goals and eight assists and this season uh, including the Cups it was ten goals versus two assists and in the league it is his um Eight XG and one assist came from four XG and two expected assists. So, um, helpfully in this one, my answer—I <laughs> just answered Jack for some reason on the, on the running order, um, and I'm not quite sure what happened there. But everyone, um, other than that, uh, said it would be assists. So interesting. Jack Jack Harrison goal machine came out of nowhere in the second half of the of the season, right, Tom? It, it, it'd been having quite a poor season, really. I think until until he suddenly started scoring away at West Ham. Yeah, it was to be honest. Under Bielsa this year, he was mostly poor, apart from game. Like he's a streaky player as it is, but he had like it was mainly like he had good games this year and then mainly bad games. Um, it he was actually quite an interesting one under Marsh that he was one that. A lot of us didn't peg as someone that would adapt well to the system and probably ad- adapted himself to the system probably more than anyone else and did it to quite a good level. Um, mm. I'd, I, it is interesting that he he had more goals than assists. Like I, I'm not I'm not too sure why that would be the case. To be honest, apart from like we we became a bit more of a vibes team and he just happened to be in those positions at the right time. But yeah, it was it, he just he felt very very hit and miss. And but I'm, I am impressed with how he adapted under Marsh um, when once he came in. If I can just leap in here, I think um, a big thing that has affected Harrison's assists is the lack of Patrick Bamford, because mm. I I can picture, I think it was the away game against Fulham, but it wasn't the only time this happened, but like Harrison doing a cross and Bamford meeting it at the near post or something, and it's just a kind of movement that we never properly saw out of Dan James up front. And I think Harrison probably more than anybody else almost suffered from that, although mm. obviously assists were down and around around the squad in general mm. but like th- those are opportunities that Harrison's very good at creating and the people weren't there to finish them okay let's move on to the next one then so we we thought that Pascal Strout might get an international call up and we decided to measure that against when he scored his first goal and he scored his first goal um, against Brighton on the penultimate day of the season and we all said that he b- would be more likely to get his first goal before he got his uh, international call up um but I don't think we, yeah, I, I think we, we we thought he might get one. So, John, it's been a bit of a weird season for Pascal, right? Yeah, it's disappointing, I think. Um, seems to have been a player who lost his confidence uh, towards towards the end. Um, and I suppose with a new manager coming in, 
a manager who I suppose I don't know because part of me thinks that Pascal Strauch is the sort of centre back who would work in the Mars system insofar as he's good at those more penetrative passes but um, yeah for whatever reason Liam Cooper is preferred probably because of leadership qualities and so it doesn't look great for, for Pascal going forward and uh, do you expect what do you expect his season to look like next year Tom? It's difficult to say because I still think for again for those leadership qualities that we could that think Cooper would probably be preferred um, my my worry is that Stroke is seen as probably the second choice left back and mm. he'll be getting a lot of his games there, which I think in, in a Marsh when a Marsh slash Red Bull system actually might work quite well. But I would prefer now that I, I, I still think that he's the best centre-back at the club and I would like to see him getting more games at centre-back for that reason. Um, so it's it's difficult to say, but I, I don't think it's the season that a lot of us will want to see where he gets the run of games and shows how good he is when he gets those run of games. Agreed. Let's hope he has a better year next year. Um, okay, so number 15 was Robin Cock versus Diego Urente appearances at centre-back, and it was Urente uh, with 29 versus 5 for Cock. Tom, you and I predicted that Cock would get more games, and I, thanks for quoting me directly here, Jacob, I'm, I'm really enjoying this. <laughs> I said, Cock will get a great run at centre-back at the start of the season, which he didn't. Um, so, uh, other than that, Jacob, you got it correct. Uh, John, you said no idea and then plumped for your ente. Um, so, um, that's that's good. Um, so, um, 16 uh, was under 23 senior appearances versus junior furpo games um, missed to um, injuries. And there were 62 senior appearances of those 15 were starts versus 13 games missed by uh, Furpo. And um, so that's a bit of a landslide for um, for the 23s. Um, brief reflections on Junior Furpo's season there, Jacob? Well, what can you say? Uh, <laughs> it's not been good, has it? Um, I, we talked about it at the time when he came in, that it, it, his injury record was concerning. And to miss like a third of the season th- through injury is frustrating given that we just spent the previous season signing injury prone players as well mm. um and then when he actually did get on the pitch he hardly set the world on fire and consistently sort of displayed quite troubling defensive acumen in certain like one to one situations when he was coming up against against tricky wingers i quite liked him in possession um like carried the ball upfield relatively well, but um, like it, it wasn't to, it didn't achieve sort of much in terms of our attacking output or fixing our problems in possession necessarily. But mm. I think it, we really need to see an improvement in his defending if we're going to consider this signing to have been um, a success of a reclamation project rather than a, a failure. John, where do you think we'll end up with uh, Furpo by this time next year? Oh, I genuinely don't know. I think it's too hard really to read his his trajectory. Um, I think he'll get game time because we don't really have many options there. I mean, we've said that Strout could be played there. We've said that someone like Leo Yelde could be played there. Um, but yeah, it's it's hard to say. I There's a lot of people who watch him and they like his on-ball stuff, but in a system which leaves weaknesses in the fullback areas it's it is pretty terrifying to 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 think of a lot of time there maybe he'll maybe he'll pick up but I think that his upside is as a wingback not as a fullback in a system that is more zonally conservative maybe okay Tom Alderson you said 
and I quote, Junior is cropped mate uh, on, <laughs> on there, um, which turned out to be also true um, for a lot of the season. Yeah. Okay, so the last one that we'll discuss in detail, which is, um, would there be... Oh, I'm really struggling with this. Wait a minute. Would there be a higher combined shirt numbers of Forshaw, Perveda and Costa, which is 28 in total, or combined <laughs> appearances from those players, which was last season at 36, uh, Perveda with 14 and Costa with 22 from the previous season. Got you. Right, okay. Um, so... <laughs> So, no, the pod was recorded before we signed Dan James and before Costa and Perveda went out on loan, but we said that if a player was to leave, then they would be voided for this question. Ultimately, and this is the point I'm getting to, not the complicated and convoluted nonsense I just said, <laughs> this meant that Forshaw's 26 appearances dwarf his shirt number. So how good was it to see Adam Forshaw back on the pitch, John. Yes, it was great. I loved it. And uh, yeah, to, there's arguments to be made that he was our most important player at, at, at points. Uh, certainly we looked better when he was on the field uh, for a lot of the, the last few games of the season. And then when we lost him again, it just became yeet ball uh, to the extreme. So hopefully Adam Forshaw will be back. Or I mean, I say that we we're bringing in a lot of players probably in, in that sort of position. So we probably won't be faced with that same kind of issue again. But it was great to see Adam Forshaw for one last hurrah. Yeah, I'm going to give us all a chance to talk about this because we all love the Forsh. So Tom, talk about Adam Forshaw. Yeah, I remember walking to the Leicester game, my brother probably kind of dreading it a bit. I was like, oh, we're going to get thrashed. And then he read out the team and he was like, Forshaw. I was like, oh, this, I'm, I'm excited now. And it went just so much better than I thought it was going to do. Um, it was just lovely to see him doing what we all know he can do and doing it so well. Um, I, like, like you say, John, I think it will um, with the players coming in. I don't think we'll see him as much of him, but I still think he can. He's he's not suited to a Marsh system as much as he is to a Bielsa system. So I don't think we'll ever see him hit those levels we did in the odd game this year and then in that start of that second season to Bielsa. But it was it, he, what he did this season actually surpassed everything that I thought he was going to do, so which was really nice to see. Jacob, just on the point Tom made there, I do think there'll probably be games where his skill set is a more useful fit for us than say say we do keep Calvin or we replace him with someone who's more like for like we may not need a player who's like more rigorously ball winning in some games, and so for sure sort of ball retention may be useful in those games. But like just to reflect on on for sure. I um I hold the Norwich game we played um under Marsh very dearly because it was the first um I went I went to the game with my mum and it, she's been a Leeds fan since 1970 but it was the first time she'd ever seen Leeds win at Elland Road and um and one of the things that she was really impressed by in that game was Adam Forshaw and just like s- s- really appreciating up close the um the just the, all the little things he does all like the the th- the ball retention and, and the things that are so often lacking in um other players of ours and uh, even just for that and let alone any of the other things that the other guys have mentioned um means that I'll hold him very fondly but yeah lovely lovely to see a player like that have a really good story was your mum also impressed at the fond embrace that we shared after that game, Jacob? <laughs> she was, and that was a wonderful embrace. Mm, it was emotional. I ran into John and Darren completely by chance, like in a stadium of like thirty-five thousand people after the game, and uh, it was it was a hug of long lost brothers. I think you called it, John. What I took from that story you just told Jacob was this: try and avoid going to the same games as Jacob's mum. <laughs> <laughs> 
The curse is broken, Darren. <laughs> the curse is broken. Oh, it's like the yeah. London curse. But, it is, yeah. But, but sort of with London moves <laughs> coming mom. up from the Midlands <laughs> to go to the ground. Uh, Does that mean that Jacob's mum has to go to every game now? Is that, is that how it I works? I think she'd like mm. to. Well, there you go. We might, we might get relegated, but she has a nice time. Yeah. Let's leave Jacob's <laughs> mum alone. Um, she's a very nice lady, as John and I discovered um, outside the ground. Um, okay, so this wasn't discussed on the podcast, um, uh, but we will just reflect on it now. So who will get the highest points total on, on FPL? Previous season, it was Bamford with 194. The answer this year was... Rafinha with 145 and then Harrison and Melier were in second and third with 117 and 106 but here's a fun fact for John who is going to enjoy this uh, John's favourite player of all time <laughs> for Leeds United Noan Kenny got minus one which was the worst score of any player in the FPL um, Tom you and I called this one correctly Rafinha um, being our top FPL scorer it doesn't seem that much of a an achievement when I say it out loud. It looked quite good when I saw it on, on the paper, but but there we go. Um, okay, so we'll come to the final scores. So, John, coming up in last place, demonstrating what you have to do to get a job at TIFO with seven <laughs> points is John McKenzie. Uh, I came in second bottom uh, with nine points because I really didn't take it very seriously at all and just threw out a load of old bullshit. Um, in third place with ten points, our long-lost brother... Tom Woodhead, come back, Tom, come back. In second place, with a silver medal, with 13 points, it's the one, the only, Tom Alderson, which means that this season's loser of losers, with minus 14 points, (laughs) is the wonderful (laughs) Jacob Stanbridge. Well done, Jacob. Round of applause, everybody. That must mean I'm really pessimistic. Well, that's not something we'd commonly say about you, Jacob, but yes, it must. And you've now earned yourself a new reputation, which I shall spend all season reinforcing on the podcast. (laughs) Obviously, I'm the most optimistic. (laughs) But we all knew that anyway, John. Come on. We all knew that anyway. I don't hide my optimism very well, do I? No, you don't. You don't. (laughs) You only have to scratch slightly at the surface to get to it. Um, (laughs) Okie dokes. So that brings us to the end of our season review. We're not going to talk about last season anymore. We're going to never mention it again. We're going to forget it happened and we're going to look forward with John's customary optimism and delight for the future. And we'll look forward to uh, the 22-23 season from this point forward. So all that remains is for me to say that I don't know what we're doing next because we haven't planned it yet, but there'll be something coming next week, I'm sure. Um, Other than that, I shall say thank you to John. Thanks, mate. Seven points. And I shall say thank you to Tom. Thank you, Darren. And I shall send out victorious into the night, the one, the only, Jacob Stanbridge. Thank you very much. Cheers, Darren. Well done, Jacob. Thanks, guys. See you soon. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. 
seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.